You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Mama's Talking Loud. I'm Kara Cooper. And I'm Jessica Rush. Today's guest is a critically acclaimed writer, director, and actress known best for helming the Oscar-nominated films A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and Can You Ever Forgive Me? She filmed the stage production of the Tony Award-winning What the Constitution Means to Me, out on Amazon Prime right now, and she recently returned to acting, receiving rave reviews as Alma Wheatley in the Netflix hit The Queen's Gambit. She has been super vocal about the lack of female representation in positions of power in Hollywood and has made incredible strides on her sets to create a working environment and schedule that is sustainable for parents, believing that this shift is what we need to get women at the helm in Hollywood and beyond. Here's our conversation with Marielle Heller. Oh my gosh, I am so excited that you are here. We've wanted to have you on the show for so long and it's finally happening. I'm so glad it's finally happening. Sorry it took a while. Oh, oh it's Please. it's fine. You're just a little busy. You are very <laughs> busy. Yeah. Just a little. Just a tad. Uh, I feel like though during the pandemic, it's almost allowed us to reach to connect with other people that we might not be normally able to connect with, right? Because it's true. It's this- like on one hand, you say I'm really busy, and I'm like in my head, I'm like I don't do anything except parent. Like I, <laughs> I don't. I'll, I am just like a farm wife who bakes bread and takes care of children. That's how I feel. You're saying that, Mari, but I know that's not true. So <laughs> you're parenting and doing a million other things. So please, <laughs> it does. It is how it feels because we never leave the space, right? We're constantly yeah. in the space that we're parenting. So you can never kind of fully uh, disconnect that part of your brain. You know, exactly. you can never remove yourself from the piles of laundry that need to be done or the, you know, the baby that needs to be wiped. Which yep. leads us to our first question. Tell us about your kids. We always ask our our guests this because it's not something uh, that we get to talk about a lot and freely. Yeah, um, I have two kids, which I'm still getting used to even saying that I have two kids because I have a six-year-old and a six-month-old, um, which, you know, it's wild. I've got very used to being the parent of an only child for a long, long time. Um, and now I have a six-month-old, a pandemic baby, Zadie. Um <laughs> 
I know, not not conceived in the pandemic, but birthed in the pandemic. Um, and yeah, Wiley is amazing, is a hilarious six-year-old who's doing outdoor Waldorf school this year. And um, and Sadie's home with me all the time. And <laughs> they're figuring out how to get along as siblings in this funny time. It's actually been really nice. Um, did you say her name is Sadie? Zadie with a Z. Zadie with a Z. Okay, because I was yeah. I had a whole story I was gonna tell you how I wanted to name my daughter you Sadie, but that's me. a whole no no it's fine. <laughs> it basically it's because Cabbage Patch Kids had a character named Sybil oh, Sadie. And yeah. I mean you're a child of the 80s as well. Oh, yeah. So that was I was all about it. But I love Zadie as well. Interesting you say that though about the the sixth year and the sixth month about feeling like the parent of an only. You know, I my brother and I are six and a half years apart as oh, well. Oh, you are. I'm oldest, but, um, it's, it was interesting because Wiley, I mean, the baby's still small, but they're helpful at that in that way. Right. I've, I've yeah. realized like, I get why people have them close together. Cause once you get out of the diapers and the, and the crazy of the little, you're like, am I really going to do go that back. again? Yeah. yeah. Am I going to do that again? But on the other hand, you have a little helper now. It's true. And I I've been sort of nervous about the spread. It was never our intention to have such a long period of time between two kids, but it just worked out that way through everything that happens in life. And now I do really like it so far. And I love when I hear stories of people who are like, Oh, my brother and sister, you know, my brother and I, or whatever, we're six years apart and we're great friends to this day or whatever. It's, it's nice. And they're, they're not competitive for the same things. Like they don't need the same things from me, which is, that part is sort of nice. Like Wiley needs constant conversation and to like talk about how wolves poop or whatever, you know, whatever <laughs> new thing he wants to talk about or discuss. And Zadie doesn't want to talk about anything. She just needs to be held and nursed and changed and all of those things. But so it's like they, their needs are not actually in direct competition in a lot of ways. That's a really nice way of looking at it. I feel like my kids' ages definitely had them in direct competition for a very long most, time. <laughs> most siblings do. I mean, most siblings are like, I want to sit on mom's lap. No, I want to sit on mom's lap or whatever. And, you know, Wiley does still want to sit on my lap sometimes when Sadie's in my lap. But for the most part, like what they want from me are just very different things. But it, and, and you know, it still pisses off Wiley that he can't have full attention all day, every day, because he was used to that. Absolutely. Um, let's, let's dive in. Let's go there. So we've talked about our kids and everything, but you are a part of our, um, international women's day kind of feature of our entire month of, uh, programming for the month of March. And you have made great strides, um, on your sets to make things parent friendly. So let's, let's take it back to the beginning. I believe, and yeah. I could be wrong about this, Mari that you got pregnant during a portion of Diary of a Teenage Girl? Is that I got correct? pregnant during edit. So after I shot the movie, okay. I asked a bunch of okay. female directors I knew when I was making that movie that if I could plan it and everything went to plan, when would you recommend getting pregnant? <laughs> and Casey Lemons, who's a wonderful director, was like, in edit, you can lie on a couch and be throwing up and it's really hard to be on set if you're pregnant. So I yeah. aimed for that and luckily it worked out. Huzzah. Amazing. <laughs> when does it ever work out? That's incredible. I know. But, so you had this experience of shooting a film, not being pregnant, not having children. And then you jumped into, can you ever forgive me? And you did have Wiley at that point. Yeah. Uh, and so you experienced the like incredibly punitive hours 
of yes. a shooting schedule with a child. Wiley was Wiley was two at the time, I think. Yeah. Right. And how yeah. difficult that is and how really yeah. unsustainable as a parent it is to work in that industry with those hours. Yeah. So on Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, you did something about it. Um, can you kind of take us through the discovery of, I believe it's called French Hours, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Or what it had been termed? In, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's um, not how, how you... they do it in France, but <laughs> interesting. It's interesting. I, I, I heard you say that on the NPR interview, and I was like, oh, isn't that interesting that we call it that? And yet, I know it's like all these things that we deem French are not yeah. French, but yeah, it's like French fries, right? It's yeah. so American of us. Yeah. It's just I, so American. I know, I know. Um, yeah, so I, when I made Can You Ever Forgive Me, it it was, it was the first movie I had made since Wiley had been born. He was two. And I was so excited because I was making a movie in New York. So I was like, oh, this is great. Like I can be home making a movie. Maybe my life won't be as disrupted. But it ended up feeling more disrupted because I, you know, every day would leave when Wiley was still asleep and would get home after he was asleep. And it just felt like, why am I even in town? There's no point in me even being here. I'm not seeing him at all. and unless he visited me on set, which he did. But uh, it just felt so, um, it felt so frustrating. I mean, the number of times I was like stuck in New York traffic, rushing home at like 7.15 being like, maybe I'll make it, maybe I'll see him before he goes to sleep. Like, and then not making it and just being like, ah. Um, and then I was talking to Melissa McCarthy about it on the set of that movie. And she was like, have you ever done French hours? It's so great. And I was like, no, what? What, tell me about it. And then basically on a movie set, generally you do a 12 and a half hour day with a break after six hours where you break for lunch for an hour, which really becomes an hour and a half by the time all the union protocols happen. Um, and your day is usually 12 and a half to 13 hours, sometimes longer um, if you go into overtime, but that's the general rule. And with French hours, you go, you skip lunch and you just go straight through the whole day for 10 straight hours and then you have to break. So you can't go into overtime, which makes things tricky, but I don't tend to go into overtime anyway. And uh, you, you just don't break for lunch. And from a purely creative standpoint, I was like, that sounds great because I hate as a director cutting like on a clock and being like, okay, we have to go to lunch, everybody. Remember where we were. We're going to come back to this scene. And then after lunch, I have to like get everybody's energy back up and remind the actors where they were emotionally. And like, hopefully you finish a scene before lunch and you try to plan it out that you do that. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. And either way you come back and you're like, it, the energy is always on the floor. You're always trying to get everybody to kind of find their way back into wherever you, the groove you were in, in the morning. So the thought of not breaking for lunch for me was like, oh, that sounds great. And everyone eats all day on a set anyway. Hello, craft I, services. Exactly. Which I don't know how that's <laughs> different now with COVID because everyone has told me like, oh yeah, there's no craft, there's no crafty table anymore. Um, but regardless, everybody eats pretty much with the exception of the camera department, who is the department who gets the, the least amount of breaks. But um, other than other than the camera department, everybody eats all day and gets times when they're not on. So it just sounded so great to me. And then, um, but it's not a very easy thing to finagle because of union stuff. And uh, it's just not how it's done generally. So people get scared of changing things. So I started lobbying really early with Beautiful Day to get it to be the case. And we didn't get to do it every day. We probably did it 70% 
of our shooting days. And we, and like three days out of the week, I would get home to see Wiley before he went to bed. I'd get home to put him to bed or I'd be there in the morning and be starting late and have like a couple hours with him. And it, it was just night and day. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, yeah. that's something, you know, in our, in, in the theater world, you know, we sometimes do straight six. And so we don't take the lunch and we just work through and you have like a longer break. And I love those days. It's just much more, regardless of being a parent, but so much more. So being able to get home for just those three nights and put him to bed, I'm sure made a world of difference in your mental state as well. I mean, I was, when you were telling the story about getting, you know, being in the car and in New York traffic and trying to get home, just the layer of stress that that adds to your day and to your psyche, apart from the fact that you are directing a film, you know, you're responsible for this massive undertaking. Then the mom side of you just, it's heartbreaking. It's like, you might as well, it would be better and more beneficial mentally, I think, to have just gone somewhere else for him to not even be an option. Because it's like a carrot dangling, right? Especially when they're so small. I mean, you want to be with them anyway, but when they're that little, you want to just get home. No, it's true. And it just, it felt like torture. It really did. It felt like it was just so close and so far away with that one. It just felt so hard. But also, I just felt like, you know, if I feel this way and would benefit so much and like the health of my family would benefit from me being able to be more available, then I can't be the only one. I'm sure everybody in the crew all of the actors feel the exact same way and just are not in a power position where they can say something about it. And we're supposed to be so grateful to be working that we can't say anything about wishing that we could make it home in time to see our kid. We're like not, it's such a taboo to be able to say that. Um, And I also had this feeling of like, I, it's really hard to make a movie. It takes years but I could be more efficient and make more movies and like jump onto the next thing if it wasn't gonna screw me up. Like if it wasn't gonna feel like it was such a burden for my family and um, then I can keep making movies. And if not, I'm gonna have to like wait longer periods of time between these movies in order to feel like we've like forgotten how terrible it was and then can go back into it. Right. I mean, I think that's something that people don't think about with regard. I mean, I know they don't, you know, the average person doesn't know how much work goes into a film and then the work after you've even shot the movie, once you're in post and you're doing the edits and you're getting it ready. I mean, is this something, did you have any pushback with regard to the hours when you were trying to set them? I said, you got them like 70% of the time. Um, if you had any pushback from the studio or if it's something that moving forward, you're continuing to just sort of. I definitely had a little pushback from people who just hadn't done it before and not with like a bad intention or anybody saying like, but we're so set in our ways with how we make movies that I think people couldn't imagine that it could be done in a way that wasn't going to cost a bunch of money, which it actually didn't. Um, And my feeling was, I think we could be just as efficient in 10 hours as we would be in 12 and a half with this break. Like that was the main argument I made was, I don't think we're going to have to schedule our days shorter in order to do this. I actually think we will be able to be just as efficient because we won't have that kind of energy dip that happens after lunch. Um, And that, that was true. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I'm thinking about in theater when we have our lunch breaks in the middle of our eight hour rehearsal day or whatever, and we come back and those last three hours, you might as well just go home. Like people, the energy, the energy is in the gutter. Nobody is focused. And then you're just waiting to get to the end of the day. And so I mean, from the, from the actor's perspective, like I had all of these actors who'd been working in film for 
30 years like Chris Cooper and Tom Hanks be like, this is amazing. <laughs> this right? is so wonderful. Why don't we work this way all the time? And like the fact that they feel more rested coming back the next day for work, you know, yeah. it just made such a huge difference for everybody. The other argument I made when I kind of went in all armed to the studio feeling like I have to bring all of my arguments for why I want to do these shorter hours. I was like, you know, this is an issue of, of wanting to have more women directors. This is how I think we do it. Um, also, I don't think making a movie about Mr. Rogers, I don't think Mr. Rogers would like it if we all abandon our kids to make this movie. <laughs> but I also said, you know, and I really believe this, we also have been seeing a number of horrible accidents happen on set, people getting into car accidents when they're leaving set after 16 hour days, accidents happening on set where people get hurt. I was like, if we can reduce people being exhausted and driving after 16 hour days, this is also a safer way to make movies. And I also really believe that. There's also there's also such power in like learning how to be efficient, which I think yeah. is is a lesson that comes with parenthood, right? Yes. Your your time for productivity is cut so far down that you have to learn to be efficient. Um and it's it's a I am I'm hoping that as we move through this pandemic and move into a life post pandemic, that's like a kind of a lesson we take with us even more so, right? Absolutely. The, because we are being pulled in so many directions um, within our own space that, I, I mean, Jess and I talk about it all the time. I literally say to her, I had an hour to myself this morning and it was amazing what I was am able to get accomplished, yep. you know, and I'm hoping that we can bring that into the next. Uh, no. And I think there's time. this like ridiculous sort of uh, old school philosophy around like editing movies and making movies and TV shows or anything where like, you're just supposed to be sitting around all day, even if you're just supposed to be there, even if you're not doing anything. And I started that with my edit pretty early on too, where we would come in in the morning. My editor is a mom of three and we would come in early. As soon as kids were off to school, come in, work through lunch and leave at five or five 30. And like everyone else in all of the other editing suites were going until 10 o'clock at night. They were mostly rolling in around 10 or 11 in the, and then taking long lunches. And we were like, well, we just need to be efficient. We're moms. We need to go home. <laughs> like we can't, and we're going to get our stuff done. Like we're not going to sacrifice the work, but we can get the work done and go home. Like there's no pride. There's no kind of like, you don't get a cool stamp if you stayed until 10 o'clock at night. But it, but everybody thinks that you do. I, I used yeah. to say this even before kids when Yorma was working at Saturday Night Live as a writer. And they definitely have that mentality of like, you're just supposed to stay all night. You're supposed to stay and write all night. Even if you're done with your work, you're just supposed to stay literally until the morning. I was going to say, I've heard the stories about <laughs> yeah. that on writing or, night. Yeah. That's how it worked. And every time I would leave him, I would always go be efficient. <laughs> like that was my little like because <laughs> uh, I just felt like there's so much wasted time here what are you guys doing you could have a much better life if you just got your work done and left I don't know yeah productivity is not a direct reflection of how many hours you worked no you know in fact um, I think there's probably charts that show it's direct inverse like yep. at least with writing if you spend more time you will get less done I feel like it there's just, there's some peak moment and I've heard people say they think it's like three hours, but maybe it's more like four, but anything more than that, you're, it's, it's diminishing returns at some point. Yep. 
Well, you you mentioned Yorma and working on Saturday Night Live, so this is kind of a perfect sequitur to the next question. Um, you were in a too creative marriage, as both Jessica and I are, and you know when when you're <laughs> when you don't have kids, you know your ability to work and take different jobs is fairly free. You can travel, you can go here and there. You have to maintain your relationship, but that's it. When you become a parent, that shifts completely. How have you? managed time? How have you navigated who gets to work? Do you both work at the same time? What, how, how has that gone for you and Yorma? I mean, I feel like it's a constantly evolving thing. We made an, we made a decision early on that there had to be a present parent if school calls and your kid is sick or whatever. Like there has to be a parent who's available, who's on. We've never had a full-time nanny. No no shade to anybody who does, but we've never done it. And we've had babysitters here and there and been in, Wiley's been in school since he was like one and used to go to school like until six o'clock, even if, you know, uh, when he was little, when, when there was school. Um, and, but so we've never had that kind of like built in person who sort of acts like a third parent. Um, we've always felt like one of us had to be available if something were to happen. One of us has to be the primary parent at any given point. So because of that, we've never been in production at the same time. We try to switch off. We've not done the best job at doing like one for one. Like I did two movies back to back. And that was sort of like the opportunity came around and it just made sense. And he was like, we had the conversation and Yorma was like, I don't have a movie ready to go. You have a movie ready to go. You should do it. And then I felt sort of like I owed him afterwards. And so he did a maybe two pilots in a row. And one of them was in New York and one was in Atlanta, but it was sort of like, okay, well, we're always sort of doing that dance, I think, of like who's gotten more, who's gotten more time, who needs to support who right now. Um, but it's so it's kind of the intention was to be one to one, like my turn, your turn, but it just hasn't worked that way at all. It's much more just been like when opportunities come up and we've both had to say no to a lot of things. There's no doubt about it. Um, we've tried to not say no to the things that were the most exciting, but we've both had to say no to things that sounded exciting and fun. Um, and is that because, sorry to just, is that because you have made this commitment to your children, to Wiley and and Zadie, that you're like, this is what we're going to do come hell or high water. Like one of us. Basically. Yeah. 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 It just doesn't feel it doesn't feel doable to us for us to both be in production at the same time. Like we've been close or we've had like, okay, he's doing this movie last, last year he was doing a movie in Germany and it was like going to overlap by just a week with me taking the queen's gambit. And so we said yes to that and decided like, okay, we can get our grandparents to come in and help for the week. But, but in terms of being like exactly at the same time, we don't do it. Um, the thing too is you're saying you're not in production at the same time, but you're right. both creatively working on things yes. constantly. Right? Totally. So it's totally. just about the time away from the family. The work in production never stops. Production is like being I, I don't I don't want to say at war because it's not like being at war and I feel really weird with any analogy to war, but it's such an extreme condensed part of time. And you can't you know, if something were to happen, if your kid breaks their arm, you can't leave set to go to the hospital. Like that can't happen. So when you're the director of a movie, so knowing that your commitment literally has to be to the movie above your children for that, that period of time 
uh, somebody has to be available, right? I mean, and and that's not the case with editing. You know, it's not the case with writing. There, there's the pre-phase where you're not so, so, so on. And there's the post-phase where you're not quite so, so, so on. But in terms of production, the, the period where you're doing prep for the movie, those like six or eight weeks before the movie starts filming, and then the six or eight weeks that you're filming the movie. So those three or four months, yeah, that the, your your partner has to pick up the slack. I mean, there's just no way you you can't you you can't be responsible for school pickup on those days. Like it's just never going to happen. Right. Um, but it's a lot of negotiating, and it's a lot of like feeling it out for us too. Of like, which one of us needs something right now? Like, which one of us needs to take the next job so that we're not losing our minds and you know the pandemic has been a different <laughs> phase of everybody losing their minds but um but in general it's sort of like we try to switch off and we try to feel like um and we try to travel with each other as much as we can too so that we, we're not like going off one of us is not leaving for three months yeah you kind of you kind of just hit on it obviously the pandemic has shifted things dramatically and especially for parents who you know if you're going to take a job to shoot a film or even, uh, you know, three character arc on a TV show, you have to quarantine for two weeks on the front end, quarantine on the back end. It's a very long period of time that you It's not are, conducive for parents. It's not. It's not at all conducive for parents. Have you had to make decisions during this time that have kept you from that? Yeah, I've had to say no to things. There's been a lot of things that have felt like... I don't know. I mean, I think the pandemic... I think any demographic could say the pandemic has been not fair to them. I think it's been really hard on single people who are living alone, who are feeling incredibly isolated. I think it's been incredibly difficult, obviously, for people who are feeling food scarcity or feeling like they don't have enough money to live. I feel so lucky in so many ways, but I also feel like for parents, this period of time has been punishing and we've... Um, I don't know. Most of us, I feel like, have watched our friends who don't have kids be able to kind of keep things going in a slightly normal way. And we can't keep things going in a slightly normal way. Like, I get jealous when I talk to friends of mine who are writers or who are director writers who are like, I'm getting so much done. I'm just working on three scripts and stockpiling for when the time is over. And I'm like, I can't do anything. Like, I can't get anything done. I mean... I'm trying to keep the balls in the air that were already in the air, but like getting a new ball in the air is like not happening. Um, and it, it, I do feel like we're, we're, and I talk to my friends who are parents about this all the time. I do feel like we're slowly watching us like fall behind in the kind of creative pursuits that we were sort of neck and neck with our colleagues before. And we're, we're watching them be able to push ahead because they can just, be as productive at home as they were not at home. Well, and that's something that we already were struggling to keep up, right? To a certain degree, because like you've talked about the sacrifices you have to make, the saying no to projects based on being a parent, that already sort of put us a little, you know, we were trying really yeah. hard to stay neck and neck, but it already had us at a slight disadvantage. Yeah. And and even more so now, I do agree. I mean, it's it's been hard too. I my husband is an actor and it's like, he's not a writer. He's not 
anything other creative. He, I mean, he's an actor. That is what right. he does. And there's nothing much for him to do. And he's not, he's not creating his own. And Kara and I've sort of talked about this with regard to, you know, the pandemic 10 or whatever, the, you know, people putting on weight as well. It feels like there's nothing that we're working towards or prepping for. And I, and, and so add on the parenthood aspect, it's just all compounded. And, and the weight of it all is so much that whatever is left, it's really hard to sort of inspire yourself well, to I think work the on thing, those things, right? Totally. And I think the thing people don't understand about like why parenting in this pandemic has been hard is it's not just, oh my God, suddenly my kids are home all day. We're also being asked as parents to make decisions that we're not equipped to make. And, and the decision fatigue is enormous. Like the number of conversations I had with every parent I know going back to say last June, July, where we had all been remote with our kids for whatever it was, four months at that point. And we were going like, okay, what is the next year going to look like? The pandemic is not ending. And and we're getting no guidance. Are the schools going to open? Are they going to open hybrid? Are they not going to open? Should we be forming a pod? Should we be finding a teacher? Should we be hiring somebody? Should we be sending our kids back? Should we be not sending our kids back? You know, I the number of hours I spent on that conundrum in the last two months of my pregnancy, that was all I thought about. All I was thinking about was what's our decision going to be? What are we going to try for? What are we going to do? How do we keep our kids' emotional well-being as well as their physical well-being in mind? How do we figure out? And there was no guidance. And we're used to that as parents to having to make huge decisions. They're just not usually life or death. Right. They're like public or private school, this gymnastic class versus that or something, if we're lucky. But we're not used to feeling like, oh, we don't have any guidance from reliable sources telling us our schools are not helping us. They're not helping us make these decisions. We don't have anyone to talk to to say, what do you think? Is the school going to be open? Like, we're just getting blank stares. We're getting people going, we don't know. We will let you know as soon as we know. And like, <laughs> right. Just- so we're living in this world of unknown, constantly changing yeah. um, situations. And when you said the decision fatigue, I mean, the Kara and I talk about this all the time. My brain, time. don't ask me another question. Don't, you know, you're constantly having to make decisions. What are we, I mean, just as basic as thinking of every meal for the last yes. year. Yes. You know what I mean? Like usually you don't yeah. have to feed your kids or your your spouse or yourself or your partner, whomever, yeah. three meals a day. I am so tired of figuring out dinner. I know. I'm so tired but of it. But even if you do have to, like, even if you are making those decisions every day, when you're doing it not in a global pandemic, those decisions are easier. When when the weight yeah. of every decision you're making, that that mental load, that mental capacity, the most simple choices, I find myself just like floundering to make a simple decision because I of know. all the hard decisions I've already had to make. You know? know, it's like the fatigue is so legitimate. And when you said about like jealousy with like non-parent friends, I felt that so deeply. Like I keep thinking about what would I have done with myself during this year? Like what would I have created during this time? I really feel like I probably would have. And maybe that's <laughs> uh, maybe that's the grass is always greener. Who knows? Like I wouldn't have had this experience to compare it to. But I do think what would I have done with this time and space um, given uh, the less responsibility? 
I know. I used to be really, really um, productive during blizzards. You know, like a blizzard would happen in New York and everything would shut down for two days. And I'd be like, I got so much writing done. And then now a blizzard, as we know, is like, <laughs> oh, shit, I got to figure out some crafts. We got to figure out what we're going to do to be inside all day and not lose our minds. <laughs> like, it's like. <laughs> well, and the beginning of the pandemic was like a never ending snow day. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and we all we all used up our best ideas in the beginning. I feel like I'm looking back at photos and things from the beginning, and I was like, oh, my God, we did that in only the second week? Like, I know. by the time the first three weeks were over, we had done all the things. And I was like, oh. I know. We, and we, we weren't we able to enjoy it at all because we were also so stressed out thinking we were going to die at every moment. Like, right. the feeling yeah. of not knowing what was happening with the pandemic made it that it was there was no way to also enjoy your kids or feel like you know what it's so nice we're together like I think we've all had probably moments in the last year where that actually has happened where things have settled and you feel a little bit safe or the numbers lower a little bit or whatever it is and you're like okay I'm actually able to enjoy right now that we're getting a little more time together but in the beginning those oh. first few I the stress was just right there under the surface at all times so there was no there was no enjoying it for me, at least not, no. not even a little bit. No, we, I didn't, I would say that my husband did enjoy it. He, <laughs> we've talked about this a little bit. It was like a party, I think for Graham, because he'd been working nonstop on, right. on a Broadway show schedule for nine years right? with limited time off to be with our family. So like the first month he's like, this is amazing. I get to eat dinner with my family. We get to <laughs> Uh, it was, That's sweet. It was and, That's sweet. and I was like not sleeping at night because I was having such a major anxiety. I was like, we are living in two different worlds right now. I just need <laughs> you to know that. <laughs> but I also feel like, and I don't want to make this all gendered because it's not 100% obviously, but I think a lot of women feel like the decision fatigue like has fallen on us. And the um, like a lot of moms I know feel like the safety keepers of their family, like the ones who are having to make the decisions that are like, mm -hmm. okay, so numbers are really high in our county right now. We're going to stop going to the grocery store and only do curbside. I don't know a lot of dads who are making that, that call yeah. or, um, you know what, we're going to do this schooling for this semester. And then we're going to reassess the numbers at this time. Like almost every family I know there is one parent who is making that decision. And 90% of the time it's the mom going like, yeah. okay, this is where this is, I'm going to be the one who decides what's safe and what's not. Mm -hmm. And that's part of us having to do it for ourselves, right? Is we're not all following the same guidelines. We don't have one person other than Fauci telling us <laughs> what is safe and what is not safe. So it, it does fall on, often falls on one parent. And then the other parent gets to be like, okay, I'll just follow along. <laughs> Enjoy dinner with my family. I always tell my husband, if you like, sometimes I'll just, I'll just sort of say what I'm thinking in the moment in my head, like all the thoughts that are going on. And he sort of looks at me, I was like, I just want you to know, this is what's happening in my mind at all times while you're mm -hmm. just sort of chilling and playing animal crossing and going along with the flow. And when I ask you your opinion, you say, whatever I trust, like, you know, Yes, please let me make yet another <laughs> decision. You know what I mean? Like before pre-pandemic, I always felt like, oh, my husband's so chill. And, you know, sometimes it would drive me crazy. But ultimately I was like, that's pretty easy that he just goes with whatever. Now I'm like, please make a decision because I am so tired. 
of having to also, think all the like, thoughts. Being the one who then everyone blames when you're like, I said no to the thing. I said we couldn't, <laughs> we can't go see these people or we can't. No, you can't be part of that class because mom is the superintendent who says no to the things that are fun. Like that sucks. Yeah. It sucks to always be the one who has to say no too. It really right. does. <laughs> I could, we could go on forever. I know, we, should, I know. we should shift. I just was scrolling down in my notes and I was like, we have to talk about Queen's Gambit and putting that <laughs> hat back on, you know, the actor hat back on. So we should probably yeah, we yeah. Should do a yeah. whole series of uh, pandemic Gripes. conversations right <laughs> yeah, yeah. like the scream line for the new york times when moms are just calling and screaming how many people how many people sent you that article i think oh. it's a good indication of how much you talk about this stuff depending on how many people individually texted you that article <laughs> True. <laughs> it was a lot for me a yeah. lot of people texted me that <laughs> same same we're gonna take a quick break don't go anywhere we'll be right back Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, just jumped us off into Queen's Gambit. So let's talk about it. I mean, first of all, Mari, when I met you, you were an actress. Yeah. I mean, I think you had, you probably, you'd started writing, but you weren't in that realm really yet directing and no. writing. No, no, no. Um, so it, it was such a treat to watch you, first of all. You're so fantastic um, for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. her You're phenomenal as Alma. Full disclosure, um, we have not watched Queen's Gambit in our house. You have I to. go to sleep by like nine o'clock. I'm wiped. But I'm we're going you. to. I don't watch anything, but it's, <laughs> I'm kind of jealous of you because it's such a fun treat. It's so... It's such a joyful show to watch. It's no, really, it is. Really it's, like... it's literally, we have a list, my husband and I, but we put it's... our kid to bed and then he goes, what have you got? A half hour, maybe an hour. And, yeah. and so yeah. we haven't yet, but beautiful day. I, in the really, I cried on an airplane. So that's, you know, <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's, yeah. it's so aesthetically pleasing too. It's like eye candy. The, the visual is just, it's so it's like Mad Men. Mad yeah. Men was always like such a comforting. I mean, I think it's a brilliant show and it was a show that was so, um, I love dissecting it and thinking it through, but I also like to rewatch it because I find it really, really pleasing. Something it like calms me in some way. Queen's Gambit does something similar with yeah. all of the beautiful costumes and the way the the production design is so beautiful. The lighting is so beautiful. Like there's something about it that's just 
it feels really good to watch it. <laughs> yeah, it feels really good. And it's a little bit of an escape, which obviously yeah. we all need right now. But let's, okay, yeah. so let's talk about it. How, what was that like for you? Like to shift completely, <laughs> you're, you've been used to being in the absolute driver's seat on the yeah. set. Was yeah. it like nice to let that pressure off your shoulders or were you constantly looking around and in that mind frame of being, mentally responsible for everything around you. How, what was that like? No, I probably felt like Graham felt for the first month of the pandemic. Like I was sort of just like, this is so great. I'm not in charge. <laughs> My responsibility is lifted. Uh, um, I mean, so I'm friends with Scott Frank, who is the writer director of the series, which is the only reason that I was essentially kind of brought out of acting retirement because you know, I, I haven't had any time to pursue acting. Acting was my first love. And I was an actor for from the time I was eight until probably you and I met when I was 28. And it was a constant passion for me. And I didn't ever consciously decide not to act. I just started writing and directing and was having so much more success in that realm and felt so much more in control of my own. Like you said, your husband is an actor and is like, really feeling stunted by the fact that he can't just decide to do his own art. And that was really hard for me in my 20s in New York. Like mm -hmm. I would do, you know, a play and then a couple months would go by or whatever. And I was feeling like really stunted. Like I couldn't wait for people to tell me when I could be creative. Um, so I started writing and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, so returning to it felt you know, I think like people who know me as a director really, really know me only as a director don't realize how long I was an actor and how much that was like always in me and that I still loved it and could tap into it and that it felt in a lot of ways, it felt really, really comfortable for me to go back to that role. Like it felt good. And I also felt this great joy of being able to go back to set as an actor without any of the neuroses of of not understanding what sets were like and how they worked, which I always had as an actor. Like, I just felt like I had this secret as going back this time where I was like, oh, I get it. Nothing's about me. Like anything that's <laughs> happening, all this stress that's happening has nothing to do with me. And now I see it. I can see what's happening over there. I can understand why this lighting is stressing these people out or what was wrong, why that wasn't, you know, why that didn't match the last shot. I can understand how long it took them to build this set and that they've been working on these costumes for four months before I ever come in and try them on. Like I had so much more, it was like, I could see the matrix now. And so it really chilled me out about any of the neuroses I had. I think we do a disservice to actors on films particularly because they show up and the process is pretty much 90% done. And then they have to do their work in the last little bit. And, um, it's very, very hard. Like that's really, really stressful to show up and do that. Uh, anyway, so that was, that part of it was just like, great. I showed up on set. I felt like, ah, look at all this work that's been done. I'm not responsible for any of it. I just have to do one job and I have to do that. Like being an actor is hard. I'm not saying being an actor is not hard, but it's one job. It is not being in, you know, I, there's a, a sort of mantra that I learned at Sundance through the Sundance labs that as a director like if anything goes wrong in set if the the catering guy is in a bad mood it's your fault as the director like you're mm -hmm. responsible like if you come in with the right attitude if you set the right tone for the day if you set like that's on you 
And and so that's the weight I feel when I'm the director is sort of like, I am responsible for this whole ship and for making sure everybody is pointing the same direction, making the same movie, having a good time, all of it. And then to show up as like one of the crew just felt like, oh, I'm not responsible for that guy's bad mood. Like, this is so good. I can just come here and do my job. And like, I only worked two days a week a lot of the time. And um, I did have to show up at 4 a.m. to do my hair and makeup, which was a lot. I was the first one on set every day and was like, oh, right, this. But um, <laughs> but other than you, that- you chopped your hair off for the, I for the part. I chopped my hair off huge. and then everybody thought I was wearing a wig anyway, so I shouldn't have even bothered. <laughs> but I read <laughs> but, somewhere that you make your actors or ask your actors to cut their hair for their parts, right? And not wear wigs. I ask them to. That doesn't I, mean I always get <laughs> what I want. <laughs> But I always prefer because I think wigs tend to, you know, I yeah. wigs can look good. But I think especially on film, you can often see a bad wig, right? You can catch it or in some there will be some great take I get of an actor and their wig is a little off. And I'm like, I can't use that. Like that was their best performance, but they're, I can tell it's a wig, so I can't use that. So, yes, I cut my hair off out of like some weird spiteful idea of like, I want actors to do this, so I'm going to do it. Um, and I, then I kind of don't think I should have bothered because it looked, everybody thought it was a wig. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe because I knew it wasn't, I didn't think it looked like a wig, but Okay, anyway. good. Okay, good. I'm going to um, take that. Okay. Will you take anything away from this experience as an actor, again, revisiting that to go back to set as a director? Oh, yeah. I mean, I always have felt like my time as an actor has informed my directing. I feel like it's the main thing that informs my directing is being an actor and being able to talk to actors. I, I don't feel like the work is actually all that different. Like in so many ways, the reason I felt so comfortable returning to acting was because it felt like, oh, this is the work I do with my actors. Like, oh, let's talk about the scene. How does it work? What's the what are the beats of it? What is, how does it build? What's the moment we need to make sure we hit? Whatever. Um, what's you know, all of those things are the things I like doing with actors. I just don't then get to do the acting when I'm directing actors. I get to watch them do it and like and get hope so excited. they get it right. Yeah, <laughs> no, hope they get it right, but then also be like blown away when I'm working with these incredible actors who are better actors than I ever have been, and be like, whoa, that was even better than I expected. That was amazing. <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, really, really satisfying because I get to have those fun conversations of being like in the dirt with the actors and coming up with how it all works. And then they take it and often, you know, I mean, I, I think about working with actors like Chris Cooper and watching him act and just being like, oh my God, this is one of the best living actors in the world. And I got to just give him a little piece of direction that changed how that scene went. I mean, it just blows my mind. But so I felt like I was just still doing the exact same work I get to do as a director in being an actor. And if anything, it just probably was a good reminder of how hard it is to be an actor and help me remember what that feels like and the vulnerability you feel when they say action and it actually is on you after all the fun conversations. So uh, I think it, it felt like just sort of working those muscles again um, and will help my next directing. Uh, we're going to bring it back to, we kind of asked like an engagement question that we can also ask our audience. Um, how do you think 
motherhood has added to your worth as an artist. As as artists, we are constantly given the narrative that becoming a mother somehow makes us less um, viable in our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and we very much think the opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do you think becoming a mother has added to your worth and added to your artistry? I mean, you said one thing earlier that I think is very true, which is I think it has made me more efficient and able to know what I want and to just do what I need to do to get that very quickly with a little less hemming and hawing. Um, But I also think ultimately as a director, as a writer, my whole job is to be connected to humanity and to the, the core feelings of what it is to be a person in the world trying to navigate through the world and nothing like parenthood to make you feel more connected to humanity. I mean, I feel so like you're, people say your heart gets cracked open when you have a baby. And I think that is so true. I think we feel, we get shaken out of our selfishness, right? You get shaken out of your solipsistic view of the world when you have a kid for the most part, like it just takes you to a different place where you're more connected. Somebody else's needs mean more than your own. Um, And that act in itself, I think, makes me more connected to humanity, which makes me a better artist, which makes me more able to tell stories, which makes me more empathetic. And that's the whole point, right? That's the whole point of, at least for me, making movies is to try to be tapped into something in humanity that maybe we haven't been talking about or we haven't been connected to and finding a way to shine a light on it that feels really truthful. And I find that with parenting all the time that I feel more more connected to the ups and downs of being human than I did before. Yeah. Now we just have to get the industry to recognize it, right? Yeah. That motherhood adds yeah. worth, does not take it away. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it definitely does. I feel so clear about that. I feel like uh, particularly being a director, I'm like, yeah, it's the same skills. And, and yeah. this is not to say that someone who is not a parent doesn't have worth. That is not what I'm saying at all. No. I'm just saying that it doesn't no, take away from our worth. Traditionally, moms are treated as though by having a kid or kids, we are somehow devaluing ourselves within the workplace, that we are like choosing that over work where, rather than it adding value, like you said. And I think well, it definitely adds value. And Absolutely. that can take us down a whole different path. Did you read the New York Times Magazine article about – how we view, you know, caretaking roles in our society and how we we have devalued them as a society. And I do it in my own mind. Like I've always said to myself, I don't want to be just a housewife. Well, I that's know. because I've been fed the narrative that being a housewife is less than yep. giving to the world in some other way. And because that we really need to shift that. It's internalized misogyny because they're exactly. traditionally female roles. And it's the patriarchy telling us that our worth <laughs> and what we bring to the table naturally is somehow not as valuable as the hunters and gatherers. Oh. For sure. And I, but this is why, but these conversations and having women like you in positions of power, that's when change is being going to be made and that's, and it's happening. And, and we're so, I'm so grateful for you for speaking out. I mean, I remember reading before I knew you through Kara, like there was the article, there were the articles about what you were striving to do on sets and making it more conducive to parents, the hours. And so thank you, Mari, for doing that. And, you you know, I'm glad to know you read that, read anything like that, because I do talk about it sort of despite myself. I sort of talk about it a lot because I feel like 
it will help make change if people see somebody being willing to talk about like, this is what I'm fighting for. This is why it, you know, it doesn't always yeah. feel good or comfortable to have to like continue to talk about the same issues over and over again, or like, I want to just be seen for my work and who I am as a director, but I talk about it for that exact reason, because I recognize the privileged position I'm in, that there are so few women who are in this position, who are in this power position, who can do this. And that the more I talk about it, the more people will see it and feel seen or feel like they could do it or feel like they could stand up for themselves in that way too. Yep. Got to yep. talk about it till it's not an issue anymore. Exactly. <laughs> till there's nothing more to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so much, Mari. This was yeah. awesome. I, was I just loved it. It's so good to see you. And send my love to the family. You too. Yeah. You too. Right. Smell that baby, that new baby head. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go nurse her. I'm yeah. sure she Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Bye guys. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Mama's Talking Loud. Special shout outs to Rachel Spencer Hewitt for our fabulous graphic, Kristen Anderson Lopez, Bobby Lopez, and Justin Ward Weber for our awesome theme song, our producers Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and of course, the Broadway Podcast Network for bringing us to you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.